Hello, everyone. Welcome to Peace of Authenticity Podcast. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Jordan. And we are the Andersons. In 2020, the Lord really challenged us on starting our own podcast. And so we invite you to join us on the journey of following Jesus every day. So let's grow together and learn together. Hello, everybody. We are back. We sound a little stuffy, but we yeah. feel much better. Yes. Still uh, stuffy. Still still a little stuffy, but we're back. It's persistent, we're but back. we're <laughs> persistenter. <laughs> right, Aubrey? Pers- yep. Mm-hmm. Sure. Persistenter. Sure we are. <laughs> but um, it, it was weird not being able to have something go live last week, I know. but um, it's okay because we're back. And we're back with something really good, I feel like, because it's such a powerful story. There's so many different angles to it. Um, But we're actually going to start out in Mark chapter 5 today. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there or do whatever you're doing. Look it up through Bible Gateway or Bible Hub or Bible App. You know, when you you actually are visually reading along, it helps. Unless if you're driving and you're listening to this podcast, but don't don't read along. You should yeah, watch Later read along. <laughs> yeah. But before we dive into this story, um, we need to set some some kind of ground, uh, like, what do you say? Um, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to explain <laughs> some regional things. Yeah, some, some about, just background Yeah, info. some background, some context. <sighs> I love that word. Yeah, some geographical <laughs> context to where we're going. But um, so Mark chapter five actually starts out in here, and it says they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. Yes. So if you haven't studied your Bible at all, you're going to be sitting here thinking like another what? name I don't. Yeah, understand. what's the Gerasenes? <laughs> I don't even know. But so when we were in Israel, we actually got to be at the place or just right down the street from the place where experts believe that this story in the beginning of Mark chapter 5 actually happened. It was so If cool. you've already turned in your Bibles, it says at the beginning, Jesus heals a man with a demon. This is about to get exciting. It's about to get real. This is the first exorcism in the Bible, okay? So is it? I think so. Okay, I cool. Know. I just didn't know. So I just I'm do just that I'm just going to challenge you with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So for those of you that like horror movies, this is how Jesus did it right in the beginning. Yes, only Mark chapter five. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we're we're at the Gerasenes. All right, so Brad set the stage for us for where this is. So a lot of Jesus's ministry is taking place across the Sea of Galilee, in uh, you know Capernaum, Capernaum and. Uh, Chor- Chorazin, I think yeah, is one so, place. So yeah, like all these other Jewish cities. All right. So when it says that they went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, this is not quite a Jewish friendly place. All right. This is what we, and, and we encourage you to do all the research with us as well. But this is actually where the region of the Decapolis, what what experts and, and people believe was was the area of the Decapolis. What was cool um, or interesting, I don't want to say cool because it was really pagan, <laughs> but what's interesting about the Decapolis is it was a collective of like 10 cities that yep. were in the land of Israel, but they were not 
ran by Jews or any. I mean, of course, all of Israel was under the rule of Rome, but we know that Rome put Herod's put Herod in charge, and then Herod dropped his down to his sons and everything like that. So they somewhat had. Well, not even really a Jewish leader because Herod wasn't Jewish. He wasn't. He was uh, a poser is what he was. Yeah, but, but... very smart. Yeah, but... We'll talk so, about him So these ten cities were actually ruled directly underneath Rome. They actually kind of ruled themselves. There wasn't a whole lot of oversight. But let's just say it was a cultural place yeah. where uh, there, were, there was a lot of... Um, it was crazy. cutting edge. Yeah, I mean, cutting they edge. Were, they were there independent. Go. They were pagan. They, I mean, it, it's probably like Las Vegas mixed with New York and LA. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all yeah. the cutting edge places where you you get your fashion statements, but it started here, kind yeah. of thing. Like, uh, so that's pretty much was the Decapolis. And another cool thing with the Decapolis, which this will be cool because we'll see a line of this all through this story, is the prodigal son. Whenever he left his father and had his inheritance, he went to the Decapolis. A little Jewish boy going to the Decapolis, not a good. Yeah. Not a good Well, mix. yeah, so if you're going to do a little background on that, you have to know, for those of you that might not know the story, right, that there's a, there's a parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son, and he comes to his father, and he wants his inheritance early. So in, in, the, in the Jewish context of this, that is considered already a huge disgrace because you don't ask for your inheritance. You get the inheritance when your father dies. His father is very much still alive. And he got he goes and mm-hmm. says, "Hey, Father, you're a rich man. You have all this stuff. I want my inheritance because I want to go somewhere else." Bible experts believe that the Decapolis, exactly where Jesus is right now, is is the spot where this prodigal son would have went. Because um, as we go on through the story, you'll know. Um, kind of how all this unfolds. Yeah, and if any Jews did live in the Decapolis, they were not religious. They did yeah. not. I mean. They didn't live up to any kind of Jewish ways, really, because if you live in the Decapolis, you're around unclean things everywhere. Yeah. And Jews <laughs> don't like that. It kind of reminds me of that TV show, Leaving Amish, or whatever That's it's right. called. That's right. They were leaving Jewish. Well, yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> uh, what's it called? Uh, Rumspringer. Rumspringer, when they leave the... When they oh, leave the Amish, the one year yeah, you get to for the, sow your wild oats. Yeah, and then yeah. you get to decide if you want to come back and be Amish or not. This we is what, watch that. yeah. This is what the the prodigal son was doing in the Decapolis. All right. So now we have that set. We go back into Mark chapter five and starting in verse two. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, so he's he's they sailed across the Sea of Galilee to the pagan side of where everything's going on. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived amongst the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Dude's strong. Or the things in the dude. Yeah. So he can't, he can't do it. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out loud with a loud voice, he says, "What have you do? 
or what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. Creepy. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we have to understand, even in the American context of things, everybody knows that Legion is used. There's like a movie called Legion. It has to do with demons. Yeah, that has to do with all. Fallen Angels. Yeah, yeah, Fallen Angels. And so, you know, we, we, we kind of understand the term Legion. But what you have to understand about Mark's gospel is Mark's gospel was written to Rome. Two mm-hmm. Christians in Rome. And so Mark is actually trying to paint a picture by using, do we know if when Jesus confronted this man, if he actually said, we are legion? You know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm assuming that Mark is using this description because as he's writing to Romans, every Roman alive knew what a legion was. Because it was a, it was, it was the, the Roman legions were famous throughout all the land. What, what was it that you said earlier as we were preparing for this? You were oh, like, uh, okay, if the Roman army was the most powerful war machine in the ancient world, then yeah. the gears of the machine were the legions. Yeah. So, so the legions, right, are made up of several different fighting units. I think if you want to put a number to it, a legion in, in a Roman term consisted of 4,800 foot soldiers, 128 cavalry, and um, could be as many as eight to nine thousand people altogether. Yeah, because the auxiliary force that was with them could have been just as many soldiers as yeah. the legionnaire. So, so, so when Mark when Mark is telling this story, Jesus comes out. The demon possessed man comes out from amongst the tombs, and he says, "What is your name?" And he says, "We are our, our name is our legion because we are many." That's a lot. Of demons. If if a Roman person is is reading this story, they're going, "Oh my gosh, that could mean that this dude is full of eight to nine thousand evil spirits what because that's how many people were in a legion walk into what did this guy open his life up to to where he got (laughs) engulfed with this many he probably won the medal for the most demon possessions just yeah just put that i don't know but but you know you have to understand that mark is trying to paint a picture of exactly how possessed this man is and how oppressed and this dude's dealing with a lot because if the yeah. evil spirit's saying we are legion, he's swamped and with evil spirits. Just a little example, which are some things that we don't really catch while we're reading. We just keep going through the word and just reading things. But like a cool thing, I can't remember what verse it is, but he was pretty much like, actually I wrote it down. Hang on a minute. He said, uh, in God, okay, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Very interesting that the demons are like, we know exactly who you are. You're the son of the most high God. Side note, there were a lot of people well, that went right over their head, but the demons are like, oh, oh no, yeah. we know well, you. Well, and here's another fun fact. I don't even know if the disciples were declaring that Jesus was son. The guys that weren't, obviously, at this point, we can understand they weren't even getting out of the boat. No, they probably didn't want to. I'd be like, I'm gonna, <laughs> Jesus, I'll just let you stay over. I'm gonna backpedal. No. Yeah, and <laughs> these weren't big boats, bit. so all these dudes were just sitting in the boat. Like and Jesus just walks out with with confidence, and you know, as we c- continue to read in this story, it makes me think that 
Jesus did everything on purpose and for a purpose, right? So maybe they went to this side of the river specifically and only for this man. Oh, yeah. I would say, like, further we go through this story, like, that would make so much sense. But, you know, all the demons or whatever the man said, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In Jesus' name, nope, sorry, in God's name, don't torture me. Okay, so first of all, it's very interesting. The demons know exactly who Jesus is, right? They don't have to wonder. But also, this this statement might sound a little odd, right? Because, like, why would demons be calling on help from God so that Jesus doesn't torture them? Like, it just is kind of weird. But this actually goes with something that the pagans did back then in the Decapolis. It was an ancient, like, magic spell or something where you call on a higher deity okay to stop what one deity is about to do to you so you can actually see that in the wording there which is very interesting because you can kind of see some pagan ways um that this man actually uh functioned yeah through so that could have been doorways he was just functioning in the pagan you know other gods all that kind of stuff it'll just open all those doors it could be i mean it, it it sets it sets a very interesting standard if you really think about it because you uh, you never know what you're opening yourself up to. Like I, I think that when you when you allow certain things in, in, into your home, you you are allowing. You know, the Bible says that whatever you do, don't give a foothold to the enemy. And it sounds to me like whatever this guy was tied yeah, up in, exactly. gave thousands of footholds to the enemy, and the enemy just went to work on him. But. Uh, yeah. So um, you should talk about the the tombs because it actually explains kind of where we were at physically in Israel and how that was most likely the place where this happened. Remember? Oh yeah. So we're gonna put some pictures on here too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but where we were actually standing was right off the side of the road of like a main highway, and Brad pointed over in the distance, and he said that they they were actually were doing excavating and they found tombs off of this uh, we were right off right the sea of galilee off of the sea of galilee yeah. there was a ridge but yeah. it was it would have been um more of a steep cliff yeah well so then. so then the other thing that you have to understand is this dude was obviously not jewish that was living yeah. amongst the tombs because in jewish culture it was considered unclean to be anywhere near a cemetery yeah anywhere near where there were dead bodies and stuff like that so this guy was not only you know, going there, but he was living there. And, you know, so he was heavily disturbed, heavily just under control of, you know, all and sorts of evil you know, spirits. even for Jesus to have anything to do with him, for mm. the religious, that is appalling. Well, and if there were tombs up there, yeah. right off the shore, like where we were. hanging out in them, so he's unclean. You, you know all these Jewish boys in the boat, <laughs> Peter and the gang, let's say this, Peter and the gang, they're definitely going, wait, this is this is a burial area. These are tombs. We're not supposed to step foot in here. Is that why they never got out of the boat? I don't know. <laughs> didn't Brad say that they most likely probably didn't get out of the boat at all? <laughs> yeah, the they they probably stayed there on that little fishing boat the whole time. <laughs> because imagine, you guys, I've seen some creepy people in my day. He would have been co- covered in blood. And oh, he would have been covered in scars. No clothes, I'm sure. Right? Yeah, because the, the Bible's literally saying that he's cutting himself with stones and he yells on the hillsides at nighttime like, dude, this is... They should make a scary movie That's about this. That's what nightmares are made of. Yeah. 
Because this would creep me out. But then obviously it would start out as a horror movie and then you'd have... And then people would be then, saved. Then it would turn into like a lifetime movie. And then you'd be saved. Yeah. And then they'd say, won't he do it? Um, but anyway, so so we're trying to paint the picture of exactly what Jesus is walking into and, and exactly how bound that this man is. And so we're going to start back here at verse 10. And, and the legion, right, working through this man, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Okay, so these these spirits do they they they're okay with leaving this man, but they don't want to be out of the country. Now, verse eleven says there's a great herd of pigs that were feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, "Send us to the pigs, let us enter them." In verse thirteen, so he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about two thousand. And rush down the steep bank into the sea and drown in the sea. Now, there's a lot of info there. There's a lot of information there. Like you might have just been sitting here going, "Okay, so they left the man, went to the pigs. What's the big deal?" There is a lot of backpedaling that we have to do to really help you understand what is going on in this scenario. Because first of all, we already know that this is a pagan culture because pigs are there too. If you know anything about the Jewish culture whatsoever, pigs are considered unclean. unclean animals. They're... You don't mess with them. You don't own pigs. You don't eat pigs. You don't even touch pigs. Yeah. So um, what what we have to understand is there's there's a there's more significance to the pigs than what yes, we Yes, there were 2,000 pigs. I mean, that is a lot of pigs. Why the heck? Even pagans, why would they have so many pigs in one spot? I mean... Maybe like a hundred for a farmer that does pit. You know, yeah. you would just think, but you're like, why two thousand? Well, they really believe that those two thousand pigs were actually for the Roman legion garrison that yeah. was there in that area, and so they were actually like, I guess, harvesting those pigs to eventually kill to feed the Roman legion, and uh, that's so interesting because I don't know how many. Think about it, 2,000 pigs, okay? Like, I don't know how many men could eat one pig, but it kind of shows you how many they were preparing for to feed, like, you know, regularly and things like that. But also, like, something that is super interesting is is the Roman legion that was in this area was the 10th legion. And, um, oh, our son's awake. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, yeah, and so... There was uh, the 10th Legion, and every Legion has some kind of mascot, and theirs happened to be a wild boar, a pig, which is Mm. interesting that Jesus is like, they actually, the Legion, which is interesting, the Legion of Demons asked, well, can we at least go in those pigs? Yeah. That's funny. And then Jesus is like, yeah, sure. And then they ran off the Yeah, so there's like a lot of, there's like a lot of symbolism here too, because if their mascot, you know, uh, I don't know if you know anything about the Roman culture, but... A lot of times you see on the movies, they'll have like the golden eagle out in front. And then you have a lot of people carrying flags, just like in our our military today is when, you know, when you're doing a ceremonial march, there's people holding different flags mm-hmm. and doing different things like that. This is the same way. And this specific 10th Legion that was in this area at the time, experts believe, their mascot was literally the wild boar. So why, why would they... Why would they want to go into the pigs and do all that stuff like you were saying? We don't really know. Could it have been that sabotage? Could it, yeah, could it have been that they were that they were literally um, that Jesus was doing that to prove a point? 
like the legion if that like if that was their food source it ain't no mo like no, no. and here's the other interesting thing if you go if you go on google videos right now you know that pigs are buoyant creatures oh yeah like pigs can actually swim and they, they have such a high <laughs> they're percentage they're actually good swimmers yeah they have a high percentage of body fat so they actually float and they, I'm just they swim like picturing some yeah. floating pigs. Yeah, no, and, and that's what's crazy. And so for for the Bible to tell us that they rush down a steep bank into the sea and they drown, that's that's interesting. That's interesting to to look at because I've actually I actually looked at a lot of videos of this uh, too, that, that pigs are actually very comfortable near and in the water. And so why why was this is this a way of um, the enemy showing his true purpose that, you know, the Bible tells us that the devil comes, the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Is this a, an example of, of what it really looks like, what the enemy comes to do? Because if pigs are actually animals that can actually swim, and for the Bible to say that they plunge to their death, was this Jesus actually showing the intention of what the enemy's trying to do, but he did it to pigs instead of to the man in the tombs? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just... It's but it's it's an interesting story. Um, but so we're going to dive back in here uh, in verse 14. And so the herdsmen... Okay, imagine being on site for this anyway. The herdsmen fled and they went into the city and into the country and the people came to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. Nothing's so, more scary than a guy in his right mind. I tell you what. I'm yeah, just kidding. So, but yeah, so imagine, imagine to their surprise, this guy's probably creeped them out forever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they show up and Jesus is sitting here and this man is sitting here and he's clothed and he's in his right mind and people are losing it. But you also can't help but make the connection back to the prodigal son. Because in the story of the prodigal son, he goes into the Decapolis, he blows all of his money, mm-hmm. all of his inheritance, and, and the Bible tells us that he's eating with his master's pigs. He has to go get a job as a servant feeding pigs. For a Jewish person, there, this is rock bottom. This is the lowest of the low. Because you are constantly unclean. He's he's eating, sharing food with the pigs. And the story tells us that he begins to think to himself, even the servants in my father's house get treated better than I am right now. So he decides to go home. And the Bible tells us that as he's walking home, he's practicing, he's rehearsing what he's going to say to the father when he sees him. And then the greatest scene of the story happens. He gets within sight distance of his house and the bible tells us that the father comes running to him Mm -hmm. now not only does he run to him but he hugs him and the bible says that he kisses him and the father turns to the servants and he says get a robe and get rings so get a robe to cover his body and get rings to put on his fingers re-establishing his sonhood his sonship yeah, that's the that's yeah, the word I was looking for. And so we see the connection here with the demon possessed man because when they come up, the Bible is sure to tell us that not only is he sitting with Jesus, but he's clothed. I'm sure Jesus clothed him in 
That's what, yeah, you think Jesus just walked around with an extra cloak? That's what's so beautiful because people's outer cloaks back then were a big deal. I mean, yeah. that was your blanket when you slept. That was your outer clothing that you wore every single day. I mean, when you give that to someone, that's a huge thing. It also kind of showed what class you were in. Yeah. Like what, you know. He would have had probably rabbinical kind of look. You know what? I yeah. would, I'm not I don't like know. the really fancy ones, but I'm sure the chill version. Jesus yeah, version. I, I don't know. And, um, yeah, go ahead. Were but it just weirded ones? me out how everyone was so afraid. Yeah. a little bit but I was reading something and it really uh, it really hit me because I feel like this connects with almost everyone um, it said like these people that were afraid whenever they examined the scene right and they saw this man that used to be crazy and he was clothed and of a sane mind they were scared right and so it could be this that they were more comfortable with the evil that they know than the power that they can't control mm. because honestly if Jesus can redeem this man he could do anything. They would yeah. think, like, what? Like, we have tried to chain this man down. We've given up <laughs> on him. He has to live with all the dead bodies. I mean, yeah. you know, he can't be a part of any of this. But it's just like no one is too far gone for Jesus. And that is scary. Like, sometimes for us to let go of control, that's something that the Lord's really been showing me in my personal life to fully surrender. What does, I, I mean, I've partially surrendered. I'll partially surrender all day. You know what I mean? As long as I have a bit of that control for me to feel like I have things in control. But like, who, who am I to see Jesus for who he is and know who God is, but still not give him that full control? This mm -hmm. kind of went a little bit off, but it just was the, what I was feeling here. Yeah. But, you know, we could be afraid looking at what Jesus has done. Well, because it's easy. <laughs> it's easy to be afraid of what you can't control. Exactly. Right? And so they walk up here. They became consistently okay with this man being crazy. And That's they just avoided what it him. Was. Yeah, but now they see him fully clothed and in his right mind. And they're going, what kind of sorcery is this? What does this mean? Granted, let, let's also remember that these are pagan people. They don't, they're, they're not the Jews that are looking for yeah, the Messiah exactly. to come. This is a level of witchcraft to them. It's not witchcraft to you and I because we know who Jesus is. But to them, this is a level of power that they've never experienced and they've never witnessed before. And so they were terrified. They were like, what kind of power does this man have mm -hmm. that chains can bind this man? And he's sitting here freed of all this stuff and he's having a normal conversation. You know, and you know, think of a thousand pigs that had just drowned off the hillside too. That's a little daunting. That's a little, yeah, yeah, it's a and little then, overwhelming. Yeah, and then so then the, the economy. Yeah. And I'll never forget. Brad was like, "Talk about a piggyback ride." You know what I mean? Like bad <laughs> joke. But yeah, imagine all that bacon floating in the sea behind you, and then you have this man who they were all okay with him being possessed and being bound up. But what wasn't okay is the fact that all those 2,000 pigs were dead and this man was freed. They didn't care about him enough that they'd rather have the pigs and back. The, you know, another thing I was reading too is that the pigs could have also, if they were not used for the Roman garrison, which we won't say 100% if they were or were not because we right. weren't 100% sure, they, could, they the pigs then at those times were used for meat ultimately, but also sacrificing to gods and goddesses. So this yeah. is a huge hit to the economy, not only and idolatry worship too yeah yeah so if they weren't a food source they would have been used to to sacrifice to whatever romans thought their their god was at that time whoever it may be <laughs> changed all the time but yeah you can't act you can't sacrifice you can't gain favor 
with that. So there had been a lot of people that were mad. And so uh, verse 16 says, And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So this dude's like, I don't want to stay here amongst these tombs anymore. I want to go and be with you. And this is the most powerful section of of this of this story because it rocked me whenever I read it. Mm-hmm. So, and he did not permit him. This is Jesus. Jesus said no to this guy. He said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone was marveled. I can't help but remember everywhere else in scripture, if you've read the gospels any amount at all, you can see that Jesus was constantly asking people, hey, come Come and follow follow me, me. drop what you're doing. The, The 12 disciples that stayed in the boat for this whole exchange, the chickens, they were on the boat. They literally, Jesus approached James and John, Peter and Andrew on the shore. It says, drop your nets. You know, you're fishermen now, but I'm gonna teach you to be fishers of men. Jesus was constantly challenging people to go with him. And many times people were saying no. They were saying, no, I, I let me go take care of this first or let me do this first and then I'll come follow you. Many of us do these things all the time. It's like, oh, as I get older, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll really... I'll get my life right I'll get, Yeah, I'll it. really get my life figured out later on. This man is is in constant pursuit. He's in pursuit of Jesus and he wants to step in the boat with the rest of the disciples and become a full-fledged disciple. And Jesus says, no. This is the only person in my understanding of the Bible that Jesus ever says no to. Don't follow me. Don't come and be my disciple. Because I think that Jesus understood something. Jesus understood that this man's testimony is more powerful where he's at than where Jesus is going. And to really understand the context of that, you really have to understand what unfolds later on. But maybe for some of you, you have been praying and asking God to deliver you from whatever situation you're in, or maybe maybe it's a season that you're in. Maybe it's the people that you're around. Maybe you would like to move somewhere else because you don't wanna be where you're at anymore. Here's the thing, the Lord might be saying no to you because the position that you're in right now has the greatest chance of your testimony reaching people for His glory. And so you might just have to get happy with being where you're at because maybe Jesus is saying no. Maybe He's saying no to where you want to go or what you want to do because He has something better in mind. And when we say this, we're talking about the impact of the kingdom of God. This guy thought that the rest of his life could be set if he could just get on that boat with Jesus. He wanted desperately. The Bible says he begged him. I can't imagine what that looked like because he had lived amongst the tombs and was was filled up with a legion of the enemy's you know, foot soldiers, dark spirits, whatever. Everyone he loved had left him. Right. They, he was an outcast. And Jesus says no. 
go into the city and tell everybody. Also, you can't help but make the connection. Look at how many times Jesus performed a miracle and he told people, hey, don't tell anybody what I did for you today. But Jesus openly says, no, you can't follow me. It's the complete opposite. So once you get into a frame of mind where you go, oh, well, with God, A plus B is obviously going to equal C, Jesus will come in and he'll say, oh, no, but B plus A doesn't equal C, it equals Z. And you're going, what? Like, there's no pattern to follow because if there was a pattern, we would all get stuck and we would worship the pattern instead of the one who does it all. And so you really have to understand that Jesus, it looks like he's telling this man no. And I sit there and I look, I'm like, man, like what that must have been like to be turned away by Jesus Mm -hmm. in that moment. Like you've been set free. And yeah, he was grateful for that. He was... But he wanted to be with Jesus, and Jesus was like, no, I got different plans for you. And we find out later in Mark's gospel exactly why. This isn't the end of this man's story. Yeah, and whenever he begged Jesus, I love Jesus' wording. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much. I bet he was like... I don't have a people anymore. I don't have a home anymore. Like there, I don't know how long these demons had possessed this man, but I'm sure every thought of home and every thought of my people had vanished from his mind. But those people had seen him at his worst. Those people had seen him um, living in the tombs. Those people know, like that's a crazy guy that's full of demons. Don't mess with him. Like so, his impact is so much greater. And I just. I just thought that was so powerful because another thing that's so amazing is what this man did. He didn't get bitter and angry at Jesus. He went, like Jesus said, into the Decapolis to share what Jesus had done for him. And people were amazed and people were marveled. And so, you know, don't get to that place where you become bitter because Jesus didn't give you what you thought Mm. he was going to give you or you weren't able to leave the situation you're in or whatever it is or the place you're at or anything like that because where you're at could be the ultimate you know biggest impact yeah and only only the lord knows that we don't have any idea yeah it's like the, the lord could remove you from the atmosphere that you're at but what if instead the lord is calling you to come to a higher place to where all these people that know these things about you or think these things about you or your reputation is this that God is beginning to change you on the inside. So then you become a walking testimony to where everybody who thought that they knew something about you will begin to see the change in you, the new you, and then you will be a walking representation of what salvation and restoration and sanctification looks like. Oh yeah. And that's more powerful than, Lord, please move me somewhere else where I can be more impactful. Be impactful where you're at. I think that's the biggest lesson that this story tries to say. But if you fast forward into Mark chapter 7, you'll understand in verse 31 that the Bible says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Okay, so Jesus is back on the side of the water where he set this man free and all those pigs drown. Hopefully right? they fish those pigs out. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully then. they're not still there. But he's he's back in there in Mark chapter 7. And it tells us that he heals a deaf man. 
And there were a few people that brought this man to him. Yeah, there were people. They were like, "Man, we we we've seen what he did with this demon possessed man. This man that that was living amongst the tombs." So then Jesus begins to spread the gospel. Begins to spread the name of Jesus. Begins to spread even to the Decapolis that's full of pagans, and they bring this deaf man to Jesus, and he heals them. But also in um, chapter eight, Mark chapter eight. Uh, Jesus is on this side of the river again, or not river, the the Sea of Galilee. And it says that this is where Jesus feeds the 4,000. I want to encourage you to go and read that for yourself because we're coming up on the amount of time that this podcast needs to take. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I want you to understand as you read Mark chapter 8 that this is on the pagan side of the Sea of Galilee yeah. when Jesus feeds the 4,000. He's not surrounded by a bunch of Jewish people. He's surrounded by pagan people. And the only way that 4,000 people could have been gathered is because he healed one man. And that he man. set one man free from the legion of demons and that man did his job and went into the Decapolis and made the name of Jesus known. So when Jesus steps foot back in the Decapolis area in Mark chapter eight, there is 4,000 people waiting to hear the teachings and waiting to see the miracles of Jesus unfold once again. One man turned into Jesus feeding 4,000. Don't worry about where the Lord has you right now because you could be just like this man. You've been set free. You've been restored. You are walking with the Lord right now and it only takes one person to turn the story into 4,000 just like Mark tries to teach us in his gospel. So trust God. Your story matters what god has set you free from matters go and make his name great yeah just tell your story of what jesus has done for you it's literally that simple try to over analyze just share john tells us again in revelation that we've overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and that we do not love our own lives right Mm -hmm. that we're not willing to give it this man if he loved his own life he would have fought he might have even gotten another boat and just followed Jesus around like a little whipped puppy dog, right? But instead, he took the command and he did it. And his one testimony turned into 4,000. Now, also understand that 4,000 doesn't mean 4,000. No, that was just 4,000 4, men. is just men. So it could have been 8,000, it could have been 10,000, could have been 12,000, depending on the women and children. Nobody really knows. But... You have to understand that it all started with this one man in Mark chapter 5. And when once you get to Mark chapter 8 in the same region, now we're dealing with tens of thousands. All from one man. Don't mm-hmm. despise the small beginnings. Don't, yep. don't take for granted what God does in your life because what God sets you free from could free thousands of others. Just trust the process and trust God. I love that. I want to read one thing before we finish. Oh, okay. Uh, something I read in a book. Only the people who have chosen to become weak and empty will be filled with his power. That man was completely empty of all the demons that had consumed him for so long. 
And that's literally, he chose to become weak and empty to be able to allow the power of God to work through him. And that's what it looked like at the end. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So good. So just allow the Lord to surrender. Yeah. Um, Thank you guys for joining us again. Uh, We're so thankful for all the encouragement, all the messages that we get. Uh, If anything speaks to you, feel free to reach out to us. We, Mm -hmm. We love the testimonies that come through the podcast. And uh, if you guys need prayer for anything, obviously hit us up, but we'll see you next time. Yep. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye.